At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Some of the most memorable moments I've had in my career have been at college football games. Um, the pure passion, the pageantry, it's electric. And, it's, it's, and the games are crazy. They're probably more fun than the NFL in terms of just the, uh, you know, just the watchability of the product. So you add all that, it's, it's conflicting. Um, and the scandals are never going to go away as long as the NCAA and its members cling to this idea of amateurism. Welcome to the Edge of Sports Podcast. I'm Dave Zirin. We are back. This week we talked to Dan Wolken, USA Today sports columnist, to talk about the curious case of Ohio State Buckeyes football coach Urban Meyer and why he was suspended for the first three games of the 2018 season. Also, I've got some choice words about Kyrie Irving and his entering the community formally of the Standing Rock Sioux Nation. I've got Just Stand Up, Just Sit Down Awards and much more. But first, Dan Wolken. So, first question, we're talking about Urban Meyer. I'm sure there's some people listening who just want to know, who is Urban Meyer? Well, Urban Meyer's a guy who, you know, I remember when I first got into sports writing, he was just starting out at Utah. He'd come from Bowling Green where he had turned around the program and really kind of worked a miracle at Utah. And they had an undefeated season and he kind of becomes the next hot young coach. And then he ends up with the Florida job and he wins a national championship in year two at Florida. And all of a sudden he's elevated into this place where he was, Doing it kind of different. Uh, he was one of the early spread offense guys in college football and had a really fun offense and, uh, you know, kind of had, he was sort of a younger, you know, foil to maybe some of the old school type uh, football coaches, but it really started to turn on him uh, at Florida because Urban kind of took on this persona of being a bit holier than thou. And a lot of it was fueled by the Tim Tebow phenomenon. And we found out late in his tenure at Florida and then after he left that really, you know, he was harboring a lot of bad guys on that team at Florida. And I think that's where people around the profession started to think of him a little bit as a phony. Then it falls apart at Florida. He ends up taking a year off because of a purported health reason and comes back and then he retires out of nowhere and then he takes a year off gets the Ohio State job wins a national championship very early at Ohio State and they've been one of the top five programs ever since and now he's 
been in this controversy over the last uh, couple weeks at Ohio State, which brings up a lot of the criticism he faced at Florida, and it looks like he's keeping his job for the time being. But uh, you've noticed around college football, none of his colleagues have really stood up for him, have come to his defense. Uh, I think it's been revealing he's not a particularly popular figure, uh, but he's won three national titles, which puts him in pretty rarefied air, and that's why he's still the coach Mm -hmm. at Ohio State, despite a lot of evidence that maybe uh, he shouldn't be. Is there a gap between his public persona and his uh, reputation inside the industry? Well, I think the public persona has definitely shifted based on a lot of the fallout of Florida where uh, the the number of arrests, the number of really scary, violent things that, that happened on his watch at Florida, he, he sort of became the the guy who was willing to give anyone a second chance, who was willing to tolerate a lot of stuff, uh, you can go back to Aaron Hernandez. And mm. basically off-field incidents involving Aaron Hernandez in Gainesville that sort of got whitewashed. And, you know, there was certainly conversation the last few years, and given what happened with him, with obviously the murder that – everyone knows about and and just the tragic end to his life, you know, where did that start? Was there an, an, an an element of enabling that went on at Florida? Uh, That's certainly been a topic of conversation. Uh, Chris Rainey, a receiver, he had texted time to die bitch to his girlfriend and remained on the team. And so there's just a lot in that, in his past that uh, was certainly wide open for criticism. Um, he had a couple incidents early at Ohio state and and then really seemed to get things under control, at least in terms of the off field part of his program. Uh, But this incident with Zach Smith brings up a lot of, I think new information to light and maybe puts his entire tenure there in a, in a bit of a different perspective. And, and uh, you know, I think now I think the public views him very cynically, uh, whereas maybe it was a little bit more split a few years ago. Okay, so who is Zach Smith? (laughs) Zach Smith is a wide receivers coach for Urban Meyer at Ohio State. He's the grandson of Earl Bruce. Earl Bruce was Ohio State coach who gave Urban uh, one of his first breaks in the business, hired him as a young uh, staff member up and coming before he uh, became Urban Meyer that we know now. And Urban has always felt, I think, indebted to – Earl Bruce and wanted to give his grandson every opportunity hired him as a graduate assistant, which is just basically an entry level job at Florida and kept him, uh, or I guess when he got uh, Zach Smith went off and went to a couple different schools, low level schools, urban hired him at Ohio state as the wide receivers coach. And Zach Smith, as we've now figured out based on, reporting and other documents that have been released was a guy who was not a particularly good coach and also seemed to have a very messy personal life. And back in 2009, when he was a graduate assistant, had had a domestic dispute with his wife, Courtney Smith, and uh, police came and arrested him and there were no charges filed ultimately, but Urban knew about it. Um, I think felt like Zach Smith 
was somebody that he needed to mentor, take under his wing, uh, you know, kind of took the attitude, hey, it's a young couple uh, going through some difficulties, but, you know, they need to stick together and stick it out and try to work it out. But obviously, as time went on, there was another domestic alleged incident in 2015. There were numerous uh, police calls um, that never resulted in any more charges. Zach Smith had had a DUI that apparently Urban didn't know about. Um, he went on a recruiting trip in 2013 to a strip club and ran up a $600 bill that Urban Meyer found out about and basically warned him, hey, don't do this again. Um, well, there who, were other... Real quick, who pays that bill, that $600 bill? Was that one that he, does that get charged back to the university? Yeah, I believe it was his personal expenses, but it showed up on, on the credit card bill that the university, uh, that the university looked at. So basically that was a red flag. Um, his, as his marriage fell apart, uh, he was doing things like not showing up for scheduled recruiting visits, uh, with kids and reporting that he did show up for those visits, which is a pretty stunning, frankly, thing to do with when you're in Ohio state and Alabama, one of those types of schools and you're an assistant coach and you say that you show up to see a kid and you, you blew off the recruiting visit. I mean, that's, that's basically a fireable offense. Uh, and yet every step along the way, urban basically, uh, warned him and didn't discipline him. So, uh, you have this mountain of evidence that he was a bad employee. And, uh, then as we found out recently, he was uh, having sex with a secretary in the Ohio State football office that apparently a lot of people knew about. It's unclear whether Urban knew, but I think that presents a whole other issue, you know, that his staff members didn't inform him, if, uh, which seems kind of hard to believe. Um, it's that old thing where would you rather look complicit or ignorant and what actually right. is worse. For sure, right. And so, um, you know, he was having sex toys delivered to – uh, do the, to the Ohio State football offices that he ordered off Amazon. I mean, basically the guy was a total mess. And you know, Urban was was basically just from a you know from an HR standpoint was kind of putting the whole program at risk just by having this guy there. And then I think the real you know kind of crux of where this all got sideways. There was a 2015 another domestic violence accusation. Uh, there were no charges, but it was investigated and urban knew about it. And his athletic director, Gene Smith knew about it. And Gene Smith, the AD basically had informed Zach Smith, if you get charged, we are going to fire you. Uh, he was never charged, but one of the interesting things that came out of the report from this Ohio state investigative committee was that urban did not, uh, he did not inform Gene Smith or, or disclose to Gene Smith what he knew about the incident back at Florida in 2009, which, you know, I think sort of indicates kind of a troubling cover up type of mentality, uh, because that seems to be relevant information, right? <laughs> at that point, um, that hey, you might want to tell your boss, Hey, listen, uh, we had something else in 2009 that was similar to this. You should probably know about it. So basically urban protected this guy at every turn until it blew up on him in August uh, with uh, Zach Smith um, 
basically violating a restraining order against his, uh, that was filed by his ex-wife. And then it led to all these questions. It blew up publicly. Zach Smith had to be fired. And uh, that kind of leads us to where we are now. Wow. So, and now back, back to the, um, so Urban Meyer is now suspended for the first three games of the upcoming season. Uh, and then he gave a, I don't know if you would call it a speech or a statement that received just a torrent of criticism. What was wrong with Urban Meyer's <laughs> initial response to this? So, okay, last Wednesday, Ohio State's Board of Trustees meets early, starting early in the morning, where they're going to decide Urban Meyer's fate. And this meeting, which I think a lot of people, including myself, expected would be fairly quick, uh, that they were going to, whatever they were going to do was basically going to be predetermined. It ended up lasting 11 hours. And Urban's in there. At one point, his wife goes in. Uh, you know, you're sort of wondering, what are they talking about? And then they announce this suspension. They have a press conference including Urban Meyer, Gene Smith, the athletic director, and the school president. And the whole tone of the press conference is very strange. Um, Urban clearly doesn't believe, based on things he said when he was asked and his body language, he does not believe he should have been disciplined at all. He does not believe he should have been suspended. And it's fairly obvious he doesn't believe that Courtney Smith, the wife of Zach Smith, was being honest in her allegations. I mean, I think there's some evidence that's going back here that he, both Urban and his wife, Shelly, are dubious about whether the things that she'd claimed were, were true. So you have all this sort of going on, and Urban reads a statement at this press conference off a piece of paper that seemed very, um, you know, stiff and robotic. He showed absolutely no, you know, humanity or, or remorse. And you know, they go through this press conference. There's several apologies to, you know, quote, Buckeye Nation. But Courtney Smith is not brought up until the very end when someone asks Urban, what would he say to, to Courtney Smith? And he responds, I'm sorry we are in this situation, which just really struck everybody who saw it as a very strange, cold, unfortunate response because, look, I mean – even if you don't believe that this woman was the victim of domestic abuse for many years by her ex-husband, I think the, you know, there's sort of a very easy way to uh, deal with that. And yet Urban seemed to make it very clear that he didn't believe her and, and equated kind of the own burden he's carried as a result of this situation with a woman who, you know, it certainly seems like, uh, was in a very difficult circumstance. So that just didn't play well. He had to come back with an apology afterwards. Uh, but the whole tone of it was wrong, and uh, and it was not a very convincing uh, performance by a guy who just didn't really seem to have a lot of remorse. Do you think it was ever on the table in that 11-hour meeting that Urban Meyer should be uh, dismissed from his head coaching duties at Ohio State? Well, I mean, that's been the subject of a lot of speculation about, you know, why were they in there for 11 hours? What were they talking about? Were there trustees who, uh, some trustees who thought he should be fired? Were there some who thought he shouldn't be suspended at all? Did Urban go in there and basically say, either fire me or don't sanction me, you know, re reinstate me right now? I mean, there's been a lot of, you know, conjecture about what actually went on. And I, I don't really have the answer to that. Uh, I, I can't imagine that a 
that a group of 20 people who are very successful, very smart, have a lot of diverse interests and a lot of care about the reputation of Ohio State. I can't believe there was nobody who, um, you know, who was not a dissenting voice in that room. Because when you read the report, it it is very easy to make the case he should have been fired. Um, not to say that it's it's obvious one way or the other, but the report was damning. And if if that group of people had wanted to fire him, uh, they easily could have based on that based on that investigative report. Now, how much power does Urban Meyer have in the state of Ohio? Well, it's certainly a lot of power. Right? You're talking about a guy who you start listing who the greatest college football coaches are. Uh, it's Nick Saban, and then it's Urban Meyer, and very few people are, can even breathe that that kind of air. Uh, now, I would argue personally that Ohio State's a program they've won forever in college football. They've never really had in the last 50 years in the modern era uh, a down period, uh, which is actually unusual for, for the blue blood type programs. It's one of those institutions that is just set up to win based on their resources, based on the, the uh, geography, based on their conference. Ohio State's a monster, and I think a lot of people could win, but Urban's been very successful. He's won 90% of his games, and that, that certainly gives you a lot of, of accumulated power and benefit of the doubt. And it, it certainly seemed to me that Ohio State, in making the decision they did, I think granted a lot of I, – I, I, I don't know if power's the right word – but basically, they decide, They made a very conscious decision that the reputation of the university or, or doing the right thing was, was not as important as keeping Urban Meyer uh, as the football coach. And I think a lot of people would look at that as a fairly unfortunate decision. Yeah, I'm going to be on the Ohio State campus uh, doing a talk in a couple of weeks. Uh, what do you think the mood on campus is going to be about all this? Where, where do you think the the faculty is, the students are, do you think that there's some resentment about this level of institutional power that he has, or is it just football, 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 and that's the bottom line? Yeah, it's interesting, and, and I don't know that I can answer that, because Ohio State's an institution of, what, 50,000 or so students, yeah. a very diverse you know, group of people. I mean, Ohio is sort of you know, quintessential uh, middle America. You've got a lot of different uh, points of view. You know, it's politically kind of diverse and split depending on the mood. But Ohio State football has always been very much a, a huge part of the, the culture of the state and, and of that part of the country. And certainly I think people and the people I hear from on social media, if you believe that's a representative example, believe Urban Meyer you know, did nothing wrong and they've made a lot of excuses for him. I, it's hard for me to to say that that represents a whole fan base or, or even a majority of the fan base. Cause I don't, I don't really know that it does, but certainly um, at least it seems to me there's a general consensus that Ohio state needed urban Meyer more than urban Meyer needed Ohio state. I don't think that's true, but I think that's the prevailing opinion. Now the previous coach of Ohio state was a man named Jim Tressel and he was shown the door for what seems like a much more modest offense than what we're talking about here. I mean, it was about players getting, what, free tattoos? For, or maybe a couple yeah. other, like, doodads, this and that. This seems far more serious. Um, 
the program wasn't doing as well under Trestle when he was let go. I mean, is this really just about wins and losses? <laughs> well, uh, there's one thing that is consistent in the history of college sports, and that's inconsistency in a lot of the way things play out. The fundamental difference between this situation and what they faced with Jim Trestle is that in the Trestle case, it was an NCAA matter. And Jim Trestle, essentially, the way that, that happened, he didn't get fired because his players traded uh, memorabilia for free tattoos. He got fired because he knew or was informed about those allegations and, and did not report them and, and was not truthful in, in, in his failure to report them, which according to the NCAA bylaws, and we can certainly get into the craziness of NCAA rules, but that is a, that, that is a textbook violation of the unethical conduct clause of, of the NCAA rulebook. So Trussell essentially lost his leverage and Ohio state lost its leverage. The NCAA, once they were able to prove that he had violated the unethical conduct rules had all the leverage. And so basically the NCAA was in a position where they could just pile on penalty after penalty after penalty to make it so difficult for Ohio state to actually run their program that it was easier for them to fire Trestle. And of course it also helped that urban Meyer was sitting out there without a job and everyone kind of knew that that's where Ohio state was going to go next. So that's the fundamental difference in those situations. This is not an NCAA matter. I don't think it's going to be an NCAA matter. So it's really just about what Ohio State wants to do institutionally. Wow. Uh, but it is a Title IX. They're saying that uh, he violated Title IX through uh, keeping the Zach Smith issue well, under wraps. Isn't that right? Or? I'm not sure that's really true um, because, you know, technically – Zach Smith, when you're talking about the 2015 domestic violence uh, incident, uh, alleged incident, Urban Meyer was aware of it. His athletic director, Gene Smith, was aware of it. Um, There was some criticism in the report about uh, the reporting structure, but it wasn't a, you know, sort of blatant or fundamental violation. I I think when you talk about Urban's handling of Zach Smith, I mean, he just kept a, a very bad, risky employee on his staff for reasons that are unclear and kind of covered up for him at every turn. Um, but, I, I, you know, I think if, if Ohio State wanted to fire Urban Meyer for cause and not pay him, it would be an ugly, lengthy legal fight. I, I don't think it's clear that he violated Title IX in this particular instance. Mm. Wow. So, how does this affect Urban Meyer's legacy? Going, if he wins after this suspension is all forgotten going forward, or does this become one of those things where it's similar to Florida, where people say, "Well, we see a pattern: he wins early, and then uh, the program implodes." Yeah, it's an interesting question. I, I don't think this is ever going to leave Urban. I don't think this is ever going to be whitewashed, no matter how much success he has. I think people are very cynical outside of the Columbus, Ohio bubble about who he is and about uh, what has happened both here uh, with Ohio State and in his past in Florida. I think Urban Meyer now comes with an automatic roll of the eyes. 
um, for most people. I think over time, you know, you, you always judge these things when you talk about the legacy conversation, how high does it go up in the obituary? You know, when, when he dies and it's in the New York times uh, or USA today or uh, the AP or any of the big news organizations, uh, how, you know, what, what sentence is the controversy? I don't know that it's the first sentence or the second sentence, but it's probably the third sentence. Mm-hmm. That's up there. Wow. Well, I really do appreciate your time, Dan. Before I let you go, I, I got to ask you this question. I mean, you cover college football. Uh, do you ever just want to chuck it? Do you ever just want to not do this? Does it ever just feel too ugly, the scandals, too repetitive in their nature and too predictable in their nature as they go on? How do you, how, where, how do you feel about the state of the, the, I guess, the moral compass of the game right now? Yeah, so the thing is, Dave, and I know you have thought about some of these things yourself, but look, um, it is – a constant sort of duality of, of thought when it comes to college sports. On one hand, if you were to start over and try to build a system, you would never do it this way. You would never attach this semi-professional sports organization that generates the amount of money it generates and the number of fans it has to higher education it's a total fluke. It's an accident of history. It's something that happened you know, a hundred years ago that grew far bigger into something that it was never intended to be. And so that comes with all these unintended consequences and compromises that these schools have to make to make it worthwhile. And there's a reason why we're the only country that does it this way, because it's a stupid system, right? Um, on the other hand, when you watch the games and you're there on Saturday, the games are awesome. They're it's beautiful pageantry. It's unbelievable atmosphere. Some of the most memorable moments I've had in my career have been at college football games. Um, The pure passion, the pageantry it's electric and it's, it's, and the games are crazy. They're probably more fun than the NFL in terms of just the, Um, you know, just the watchability of the product. So you add all that, it's it's conflicting. Um, And the scandals are never going to go away as long as the NCAA and its members cling to this idea of amateurism. And amateurism is a totally invented, made-up notion. As I always say, and I tell people who work for schools and the NCAA all the time, amateurism is whatever you want it to be. You're the only ones who care about it. You're the only ones who do it. <laughs> it me- it literally means whatever you want it to mean at any given point in time. You can change it. You can give, you can pay them a certain amount. You can give them the opportunity to make name, image, and likeness uh, rights. They, it, it's still amateurism because you control that. Uh, but there's just been this, this, I think, slow to adapt uh, nature of college sports that that frankly um, you know causes more headaches than uh, they want and and need and a lot of the quote unquote scandals that happen could basically be eliminated if the NCAA made some pretty easy rule changes but you know the fact that they don't and the fact that we're in all these conflicts just as a journalist makes it rather interesting I think to 
kind of follow and cover and try to, you know, just find, find, find reality in this, in the slew of phoniness. Yeah. So if they made the decision, Dan, that, all right, you know, no other country in the world does this. This was never what it intended to be. We're burning this thing to the ground and we want uh, Dan Wolken from USA Today Sports to (laughs) be on the committee to help reconfigure what this thing is going to be without losing all of the things that you said, like the pageantry, the excitement, and the rest of it. Like, what, what do you do? How do you rebuild this? Well, look, I, I think there's certainly some things you can do fundamentally for, for student-athletes uh, that, that would be very pro-student-athlete. And, and, look, I'm not one of the people who says that, that college athletes ha- ha- are, you know, are living a terrible lifestyle. I don't think that's necessarily true for, for most of the kids. It's, it's a, it's a pretty cool thing to be a part of. You, you get housed, you get fed, you travel at an elite level, you get unbelievable training. And and if your aspirations to be a professional coaching, you get a free education, you get all these things, right? Um, There's more you could do certainly from the standpoint of, of, uh, you know, development and uh, the opportunity to, um, you know, educate yourself in a way that isn't in conflict with the the goals of, of the team. Uh, there's they can have some more time to themselves. But mainly, I think the biggest thing that would relieve a lot of pressure on the system is name, image, and likeness rights. Um, the opportunity for these players, you know, very small percentage of them are ever going to be professional, uh, professional or successful professionally in the NFL or the NBA. For most of these kids, the height of their popularity, the height of their of their earning power as athletes is going to be in college. Um, Jan- Johnny Manziel, uh, just as an example, when he's at Texas A&M, he's a national phenomenon. I don't understand what the harm would be if you know Coca-Cola or FedEx or whatever company wanted to put him in a commercial and pay him for his God-given rights as to his name image and likeness because of the fruits of his talent and his work ethic to promote their company i i don't know what harm that would cause that only seems to make sense it's not equitable it's not equal um you know the the star quarterback is going to make more than the third string offensive lineman well i mean hello that's Mm -hmm. that's life and um you know the truth is any other kid on campus who's an exceptional talent a musician an actor whatever they're all allowed to profit or pursue uh, opportunities based on their talent their name image and likeness and still be students for the ncaa for college athletes that's not possible and i think that's fundamentally unfair and i think if you if you allowed that you wouldn't necessarily have to you know pay salaries um, which I think is the, you know, sort of the root cause of a lot of hand wringing when people talk about, you know, what, what, what can be done. I don't think you have to pay salaries. I think name image likeness is the future. And I think frankly, the next generation of leaders in college sports understand that. And they feel like if it's not inevitable, it's, it's something that, that will just happen naturally, but we're still not quite there yet. Now, I got to ask you before you go, just real quick. Have you seen Last Chance You? 
Yeah, no, uh, no, I haven't. I haven't gotten to watch it. I, I obviously am aware of it, and and I've seen you know clips here and there on social media, but I haven't had a chance to actually sit down and, and watch the series. It's pretty badass. You, you have you have my recommendation. Uh, and then lastly, I ask this of every guest: What kind of music are you listening to these days? Whether when you write, when you're out doing your thing, or whether when you're just maxing and relaxing, what are you listening to? Well, I'll, I'll say this. Uh, it's sort of become a sports writer's cliche. It used to be uh, Bruce Springsteen was was the sports writer's cliche. Now it's Jason Isbell. I've grown tired of traveling alone. Tired of traveling alone. I've grown tired of traveling alone. I will say I was a Jason Isbell fan before it became popular. To be a Jason Isbell fan, uh, I think he's the best songwriter of my generation. And uh, when he was with the Drive-By Truckers, I was a fan. Uh, when he was early in his solo career, I was a fan. I've seen him in concert several times. He uh, follows me on Twitter, which is awesome. He's a huge college sports fan. And uh, I always love getting his thoughts on uh, on things. So uh, I'm an Isbell fan. and um, Every album he puts out is awesome. It's a wild scene how many people I ask that question to and they say Jason Isbell. I didn't make the connection that it was something in the in the air or in the water in the sports world, but uh, I was just like, wow, this guy's getting huge. Everybody I ask says Jason Isbell. Well, he's one of those guys I'm, I'm proud to have been a fan before he became huge, so he's awesome. Great stuff. Hey, Dan, thanks so much for your time. I really do appreciate it. No, Dave, you're the best. Thank you. We'll be back right after this, but first, a quick word from the sponsor of this podcast, The Nation Magazine. Okay, look, the need for independent journalism has never been more important, and The Nation brings it each and every week like they've been doing since 1865. I'm serious. This is what you gotta read. It's The Nation Magazine. Go to thenation.com slash subscribe, and please never forget that when you support The Nation Magazine, you are also supporting the continued existence of this podcast. So please subscribe. Go to www.thenation.com slash subscribe. And now, back to the Edge of Sports podcast. And now it's time for Choice Words where I want to speak about Kyrie Irving and the Dakota Sioux. Okay, look, Kyrie Irving is a wizard with the basketball in his hands. Unfortunately, he's not on the Wizards. He's actually a member of the Boston Celtics. Off the court, Kyrie, though, is most known for starring in the summer kids flick Uncle Drew and saying with the world's finest poker face, or perhaps true sincerity, that he believes the earth is flat. But these moments in movies have masked a more weighty, consequential side. For example, being one of the first athletes to wear an I Can't Breathe shirt after the police killing of Eric Garner. That serious side showed itself starkly this week, as Kyrie Irving became one with his Native American heritage. As Irving has discussed for years, his mother, Elizabeth Ann Larson, who passed away when he was four, was a member of the Standing Rock Sioux Nation until adopted. Now Kyrie and his sister have participated in a naming ceremony with the Dakota Sioux at Sanding Rock, formally re-entering the community. In front of 1,000 members of the Dakota Sioux Nation, he was given his Sioux name, Little Mountain, or Hela, in the Lakota language. 
Kyrie has made his ancestral connection known for years. He tweeted his support for the indigenous people and environmental activists of Standing Rock and offered solidarity in their fight against the Dakota Access Pipeline. He also has a tattoo on his neck of the Standing Rock Sioux tribal logo. In addition, he gave the tribe $100,000 last year. Irving also comes about that name, Little Mountain, in a profound way. In a statement from the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe, they said, The family connection of Kyrie Irving comes from the White Mountain family, also known as Mountain, of the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe. Kyrie's grandmother is the late Meredith Marie Mountain, who is a citizen of the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe. Kyrie's great-grandfather is Moses Mountain, and great-grandmother is Edith Morissette Mountain. This has been a story both moving and widely covered, but two issues shine out from this issue beyond Kyrie's personal, political, and spiritual journey. The first is that in a sports world that still leans on Native American racist mascots and slurs, including a billion-dollar NFL brand in Washington, D.C., here is a very different kind of collision between Native American life and professional sports. I turn to Jacqueline Keeler, a Navajo Yankton Dakota Sioux writer living in Portland, Oregon, and co-founder of Eradicating Offensive Native Mascotry, creator of the hashtag NotYourMascot, for her thoughts on this angle of the story. She said, This is what our traditional kinship is all about and truly represents Lakota culture. More so than any appropriation of our regalia and image by those who do not know us and seek to use our culture for mere entertainment and profit, I feel this shows the difference between real relationships and mascotry. The second issue highlighted by Irving's story is the light this shines on Native Americans who are systematically adopted like Elizabeth Larson and the efforts by future generations to find their way home. I reached out to Brian Ward, a journalist who focuses on indigenous issues. He said, As the ripping of indigenous children from their families and sending them to boarding schools fell out of favor, the U.S. turned to the adoption system. In 1968, a year after Elizabeth Larson, Kyrie's mother, was born, the Association of American Indian Affairs found out that throughout Indian country, 25 to 35 percent of children were removed from their families and were adopted at 16 times higher than the national average, and most indigenous children were adopted by white parents. End quote. At this time, it was common for Native American children to be removed from their birth families. That only changed, as Ward explains, with the strides made by the Red Power Movement in the 1960s and 1970s that forced the government to pass the Indian Child Welfare Act in 1978, which gives indigenous families priority in the adoption of indigenous children. Yet as Ward notes, recently in 2013, the Supreme Court chipped away at this policy in their decision adoptive couple versus baby girl. With Kyrie embracing his Hunkpapa Lakota heritage, he is running against the intention the U.S. government had with their adoptive practices, which is both courageous, inspiring, and gives an example to so many adopted indigenous children around this country, end quote. Kyrie Irving has a brand involving films, signature sneakers, and a unique on-court style. He also now has a political platform to speak about indigenous issues and struggle. He and his family seem more than ready to take this weight. As Irving said at the ceremony, This is family for me now. I don't know anything else, so thank you guys. Uh,
After missing the first inning of a San Francisco Giants National League Championship Series game because he couldn't find a printer, Brad Griffith reimagined a simpler process for buying and using last-minute tickets. Focusing exclusively on mobile, Brad wrote version 1.0 of the GameTime iOS application in 2013 and now leads a passionate team building a remarkable modern experience for last-minute tickets to live events. It has over 8 million users across the U.S. and Canada, and GameTime is now the top destination for last-minute tickets to all major sporting events, concerts, and shows. Now, unlike Ticketmaster and StubHub, who overwhelm the consumer with so many choices and steps, the GameTime app shows you only the best values and makes buying tickets incredibly fast and easy. To make selecting tickets even easier, GameTime shows you an actual high-res photo of the view from your seat. Gotta love that. Plus, the GameTime guarantee has you covered. They guarantee you'll receive your tickets in time for the event, and they'll be valid for entry. If that doesn't happen, GameTime will locate comparable replacement tickets or give you a 100% refund. Whether you're looking for sports, music, or theater tickets, you can find all of them under one roof at GameTime. For $15 off your first purchase, visit usegametime.com edge. And please use that promo code edge. That's usegametime, that's U-S-E-G-A-M-E-T-I-M-E dot com slash edge, E-D-G-E. Offer only valid for first-time customers. And now back to the Edge of Sports podcast. And now it's time for the Just Stand Up Award. Just stand up. Stand up! It's not going to Kyrie Irving, it's going to Jamel Hill. The word is out. Jamel Hill, sportscaster, sports opinionist extraordinaire. Jamel Hill is gone from ESPN by September 1st. Jamel Hill, of course, burst onto national consciousness and became a target for racist-ass, gutter-dwelling trolls when she called Trump a white supremacist and then was suspended by ESPN for just dialoguing, not encouraging, but dialoguing, a boycott of the hideous Jerry Jones and the Dallas Cowboys. Well, she's now no longer with ESPN. By the time you listen to this, she's out September 1st. And honestly, I cannot wait to see what she does next. This obviously was not a fit. A company like ESPN, which, by the way, is now saying it wants to do less political commentary and Jamel Hill. What's so ironic about where ESPN is going and so bizarre is that they want this opinion-based kind of journalism with a bunch of people yelling at each other but they want to stay away from politics. So how are you going to have a discussion about sports in 2018 without talking about politics? That's like telling the story of the Titanic and leaving out the iceberg. So I think at ESPN right now, they're firmly using their heads as rectal thermometers and not keeping or finding a place for Jamel Hill. Not being able to defend Jamel Hill is an indictment of ESPN. The Just Sit Your Ass Down Award Sit your ass down. goes to Betsy DeVos. The education secretary. Why Betsy DeVos? Well, it relates to LeBron James. People may know about LeBron James's I Promise School that he opened up in Akron, Ohio. Well, the grant program that helps fund community public schools like LeBron's school is right now about to get gutted by Betsy DeVos, who wants to take from that and spend the money on guns for teachers and creating lockdown schools for the 21st century. So we get guns instead of community schools like the I Promise School of LeBron James. Betsy DeVos, to do a Keith Olbermann callback, you, even by the standards of the Donald Trump cabinet, are the worst person in the world.
today's worst person in the world. As far as Colin Kaepernick watch this week, all I can say is terrible QBs finding jobs as the start of the NFL season gets underway. The fact that Colin Kaepernick isn't signed is a national disgrace, and it's an effort to have a chilling effect on the speech of NFL players and beyond. Well, that's all we have for this week's show. Thank you so much to my producer. Thank you so much to Dan Woken for making the time. Thank you so much to our new sponsor over at Game Time. Yo, for people listening in, please remember to go to iTunes, Stitcher, your podcast app of choice, write a review, give it a rating. All that stuff will help us tremendously going forward. For everybody out there listening, thank you for listening to the Edge of Sports podcast. We are out of here. Peace. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.